Welcome everybody to Journey to the Stage. I'm Brian Frazier and I am so thankful that you've pulled up a chair today to join us for our chat. This podcast really is all about the artist, where they are today, and how they got there. We chat with legends and legends in the making. We connect with artists with multiple Grammys on their shelves and decades of their journey behind them, as well as indie artists who are a little closer to the beginning of their journey. We have a great guest today, and before we get into our conversation, if you love great music and the great people who make it, please consider leaving a review or rating, following, or subscribing wherever you listen or watch. It's a huge help to indie podcasters like myself, and it's always so encouraging and is helpful to others to be able to find us. So my guest today is somebody that you're going to love. Ensconced in the artist's throne today is singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Robin Taylor Zander. RTZ, as he often is referred to, has a brand new album out called The Distance, and it's an album you definitely will love as soon as you hear it if you haven't heard it yet. Robin is also a touring member of one of my favorite bands of all time, Cheap Trick. And did I mention that he's the son of Cheap Trick vocalist Robin Zander? My guest may have a name that you know, but he has music that you need to know. And so I'm really honored today to welcome Robin Taylor Zander to Journey to the Stage. Welcome, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Doing well. So we're we're bi-coastal. You're in Florida and I'm in California and there's a lot of a lot of land between us. But man, I, I appreciate you making this work. So we met, gosh, it's actually only ten days ago. I when I saw Cheap Trick in, in Bakersfield, got a chat just briefly after the show and told you how much I loved your album and said, Hey, I you know, love to have you on my podcast to talk about it. So I appreciate you um, making this happen. So I remember the band talked about having some downtime. So you guys have just finished this last leg of your tour with Cheap Trick and you've got some downtime. So what do you have on your plate right now that you've got a little bit of time off stage? Well, it's nice to be home and to be back in Florida. We were on the road for the whole month of October until just now. So it's nice to be back. But yeah, we had a really busy summer. And uh, usually around the winter time is when they have some um, some off time, November through about January, February. Um, that usually is how it goes. They're pretty busy from about April, May, all the way through October. That's their busy time. So it's nice to be home. Yeah, I bet. And we've got lots to talk about. We're going to be talking about your album. We're going to be playing a cut from it. There's a lot that has led up to this point. And so that's where we're going to maybe start our chat a little bit. So, you know, being a child of a, of a rock star probably is, is great in some ways. And, you know, I've heard others talk about how that maybe wasn't so great, but it's all you really have ever known. And I, I'm so curious because uh, as, a, as a huge Cheap Trick fan growing up, I, I just dig your dad, his voice. I mean, my goodness, I think he's got one of the best voices in rock. Did you ever have that moment where you're like, when you were maybe pretty young, when you realize, man, this, there, there's something a little bit different and maybe unique about my dad. Like, did you, did you ever have that moment? Well, when I was a kid, I liked, I, I liked playing music a lot. So I, you know, that was, it seemed to be something that my dad did, but I didn't, 
I didn't really see it as abnormal until I got older, you know, and started going to school. And then I realized that other people's parents, you know, might not be musicians. Um, you know, so yeah, it took, you know, going to school, public school to figure out, you know, when I was like five or six, like, oh, this is what my dad does. You know, um, he came in one time and like for the great American teaching, like where all the kids bring their parents, um, (laughs) like in first grade, I think I was like six, you know, and he came in with a guitar and a little like a digital recorder. And it's like, this is what I do for a living, you know? So I guess around then, that's when I I realized it was a little different than other parents. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, I hear my dad, you know, oh, my dad's a lawyer, my dad's a this, that. Well, yeah, my dad's a rock star. <laughs> so. He always just said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a musician and it's, it's not hard to be a musician. You know, and that was his right. message to the kids because we're all so young. We're like, oh, this is, you know, we don't see many people play guitar in front of us like that, you know. So he was trying to like normalize it and say, hey, you know, it's not like, I'm any different than you, you know, it's like anybody can pick up an instrument and kind of learn it as a kid. So true. Yeah. It's interesting. So you've got good genes. I was size 32. But the bad joke. You know, I love it. I have dad jokes. So, you know, <laughs> we're on the same page. It's but still early in California. It is a little early. And so there's still a little bit of brain fog going on here. Uh, <laughs> But I remember telling your dad, I'm like, you haven't aged in like 30 years. What in the world? He looks and sounds great. And so you've got those genes in you, man. So your dad must have found like the fountain of youth or something. Yeah, he uh, he's been doing it for 49 years with the same band. So he's definitely been through everything. And for him to be able to still go up and, you know, give a good performance is pretty inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah. He's like, man, I'm 70. I'm like. Dude, you look like you're 40. What in the world? (laughs) So growing up, obviously you were around a lot of music, you know, not only your dad's, but a lot of other bands and stuff that you're listening to. And I I read in another interview you did that, like your summers were kind of unique. You got to do some cool things during the summer when your dad was on tour. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, when I was a kid and I had time off from school is when I could like travel around with my dad and and my mom and my sister and we were able to like hang out with him as much as we could until we had to go back to school in August so my earliest memories are doing you know like sleeping in the bunk with my dad and nice like, a really young kid and you know like those really small bunks on a tour bus a couple times I rode the crew bus one time I rode the the gear truck at the front with the truck driver when I was a kid that's a whole different kind of experience because you don't realize there's like a little bunk bed even in those trailer, you know, semis. And when I was a kid, I thought that was the coolest thing. It's like, oh, you just pull over and sleep right there and then you get up and keep driving. I thought it was so cool. So those are my earliest memories. But being around musicians like that kind of shaped what I was going to do. Well, and then being on the road with your dad's band, and we'll talk about this more, obviously came in handy because you know those songs you those songs are really part of your dna because you were around them from such an early age and that would definitely become very helpful as you became you know part of the touring band and stuff like that so yeah we'll talk a little bit more about that so seeing all those shows the tour bus what did people call you because they they can't call you robin because everybody would think they're talking to your dad like what do they call you on the road rtz rt like how do people refer to you all sorts of things. When I was a kid, since, you know, we have the same name, yeah, I, I was called by my initials, you know, RTZ or like Little Z. I would be called Little Z. 
when I was young or little, little Robin, you know, it was big Robin and little Robin, but now I'm taller than my dad. So, you know, I was going to say, I think you're taller than I'm, your pops. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't work anymore. So they just call me, um, RTZ basically, or, or, you know, my family calls me Z. That's cool. Z is a cool nickname. I like yeah. That. So take us back to, to your teenage years. I'm curious to see, you know, what other, what other bands, what other styles, because now as a, as an artist in your own right, a very talented musician, a songwriter and a singer, like it, it's pretty clear that you've got just from listening to your album, like you've got some influences that are kind of across the spectrum. Maybe talk to us a little bit about like what you were into and what kind of helped form who you are today musically. When I was a teenager, I was listening to a lot of classic rock, British Invasion stuff, all the classics, you know, all the Beatles and the Stones and the Who, the Kinks, the Zombies, all those kind of bands from the 60s, Hendrix. And that kind of moved on in the 70s, kind of punk rock. Um, I love like the Ramones and uh, the Sex Pistols and all that stuff. I love psychedelic rock when I was a teenager. So all the early Pink Floyd stuff with Sid Barrett and I love Bob Dylan. You know, I got into a lot of stuff when I was younger and I kind of just stuck with it. David Bowie, big influence when I was a teenager, like all those kind of artists, all the ones you'd expect, you know. But as I got older, like maybe the past 10 years, I've been getting into different kinds of, you know, different genres and, and more stuff, blues or jazz oriented. And um, mm -hmm. so I'm all over the place, but that's where I started. Well, I'm not surprised. I find that all good songwriters have a spectrum of of different styles and things that they listen to and that's you can hear elements of those you know kind of be picked up into various parts of their albums like i definitely can hear some beatles influence on your album in particular in the cut that we'll play here in a little bit just arrangement wise melodically I'm like wow there's some some hints of the the fab four right there so that's cool that you can i don't know if you hear those Maybe you're a little too close to the fire, so to speak. But as a listener, I'm like, okay, I can kind of pick up on that a little bit. Well, I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely that um, Beatles-esque kind of sound. A lot of the songs kind of lend itself to that. And the way we produce the record kind of lends itself to that. It doesn't hurt that we had Jack Douglas, who, you know, produced a Beatle before and you know, kind of knew where I was wanting to go with the sound of stuff uh, for the mix and the mastery. It, it's got that Beatles kind of vibe to it. It sounds very clean. It does. The mix is very upfront and just, you know, no BS. And it's a, it's a really, really good album. So having a dad who, like, that's what he's done his entire life, you know, being in music, writing, recording, touring, and all that. When you were writing, when you were starting to do your own thing, what was that? like for you was it you know was it like hey dad you know this is something i really need to do on my own or was your dad involved in that like kind of walk through that process where you you know you want to be your own artist but yet you have your dad who's like a pro and an expert at that like how did you kind of walk that line as a not only as a son but as an as an artist i'm still walking the line i don't see it as a disadvantage or an advantage it's just the you know it's just kind of the way it is we have the same name, so I'm never going to escape the comparisons or anything, you know, so I kind of already made that up in my head. I don't get bothered when people bring, you know, up my dad, as long as they are interested in what I'm doing. That's really all I care about. You know, if they if they like what I'm doing, if they don't, that's fine, too. But I'm an artist just as much as anyone else. So 
when it came time to write in this record, it's about 10 years worth of material that I had just been stockpiling. Yeah, and that's just the first batch. You know, I've got so many others that I'm going to be putting out now. But I never had a record deal until I was 29, you know. So I have a lot of material that's just kind of backlogged. And he's always been supportive of that material and because he's been hearing it. I, I show my dad all, my, all the stuff I work on. And so he, you know, he's definitely a champion of the music. And But when it comes to writing, you know, he, never, he didn't tell me what to do or he never really taught me how to play an instrument. You know, it was just he put the instruments around me and either I would take an interest or I didn't. I took a huge interest. I I started playing drums when I was like three or four, I started playing ukulele and bass when I was five. I started, you know, playing piano and I started playing like as if it were just like a, a playroom, you know, and he had always been supportive, but from a distance, you know, he, he never really forced anything on me. So I always respect his opinion when he does give it because he doesn't always give it. You know, he kind of leaves me be to my own devices. And that's the way I think it should be. You know, if I had a kid, that's how I would do it. I would never force anything on him. That's actually, that's good parenting as a dad myself. You know, there, there's a time, of course, where you need to step in and say this or share this or that. But you're right. You, you create the, the, the frame and you gotta let, you gotta let the kid paint. And, um, yeah, you know, that's really cool that your dad gave you that freedom because now you, you I'm sure have such a great sense of ownership. This is who I am. This is what I've made, obviously with help of others, but to be able to look back at, at, at this album, you're you're really your foray into being an artist, um, at least on a recording level, and, and say, Yeah, I mean that's gotta be pretty gratifying for him. Yeah. And it's not taken for granted. I definitely appreciate it, you know, the experiences I've been able to have so far. But uh yeah. the, having my my own music out for the first time, it's kind of like, it kind of refocuses you to be like, okay, this is where I need to put my attention. You know, my priorities need to be focused on because so far a lot of people said they love the record. And, you know, I was just kind of surprised as anyone else that they'd like the record. I, I just did it for fun. Really. I didn't do it for any other reason, just to do it and put it out. Yeah. You know, I paid for it up front with my own money that I had saved up and I, I recorded everything without a budget, without a record deal, you know? So it was a labor of love for sure. I wasn't doing it for any other reason just to do it. Yeah. Well, and it's it's great to see it find an audience. And I'll be honest, I mean, I listen to a ton of music and I can't imagine somebody listening to this album and not thinking this is really, really good. So I just think it's it's that accessible, like instantly. Some albums are, are growers, so to speak. You kind of grow into them. But this one was like from the first play. I was like, it's funny because I've talked to someone and they said the exact opposite that we said. So everyone has a different opinion. They said I needed to listen to it like five or six times before I could appreciate it. So I like that, that you said that because everyone is different, you know, and everyone accesses music in their own way. And sometimes they have to live with a record for a little bit. And sometimes, like you said, just jumps out of the speakers at you. So, and you play every single instrument on this album which i think is so incredible you you talked about starting on drums i'm so curious what drew you to the drums what like what was why why was that your first instrument was it just because it was active and wild and you were young and had energy like what was that and how did you progress it looked like the most fun yeah i and it started with that visually it looks like the most fun you're kind of just letting out your your anger, <laughs> you know, you just hit, you know, like you get <laughs> yeah. a bad day at school and it's like, all right, I'm just going to hit the drums for about an hour or two. 
at some point you filled in on drums. I think it was drums where you first filled in with the band, right? Like I'm so curious what led up to that because you've you've played a number of roles in Cheap Trick and then we'll we'll get dig a little bit more into your album here in a minute. Like how how did you become part of the the touring band with with your pops? 2017 I was asked to fill in for uh Dax while he had his uh first child with his wife and so I filled in for about 2 weeks in 2017 on drums. So that was my first foray into like playing with the band. After that, they asked me to stick around. They're like, would you be interested in playing rhythm guitar and background vocals just to stick around? Because when I was playing drums, I was telling my dad is like, when I was singing, I was trying to sing and play drums, you know, and, and it's not easy to do that. But the couple times it sounded good, I was like, that sounded good when we doubled, you know, the same note on the flame, or it sounded good when we did the choruses and in surrender, you know, and so it kind of built from that. It's just, it just sounded good live to kind of like double the vocal and add some background vocals. And my dad like wanted to focus on singing and play less rhythm guitar. So it kind of worked out for the best. The timbre of your voice, like you sound a lot like your dad. And I noticed when we, when I saw you that, yeah, it looked like you were, you were doubling a lot with him. So, but to, to step it behind that kit, there are some, iconic drum songs in Cheap Tricks playlist. So 2017, man, you were you were really young. Were you nervous that first time out? Yeah, like, I was 24. Ain't that a shame? I mean, there are some everybody knows every phrase in that introduction, you know what I mean? Like so it's a big thing to step step behind that kit. What what was that like the first time out for you? Oh, I was so nervous because I'm I'm a drummer like when I'm sitting at home, I've never been alive in, you know, a touring band drummer ever in my life. I've only played at home or in a recording studio. Yeah. So I was more nervous than I've ever been. And still to this day, I was, it's the most nervous I've been on stage because yeah. I'm just naturally, you know, uh, a guitar player and singer. I always have been, you know, but it was a great experience. You know, I got to go and play, like you said, iconic fills that I, uh, you know, m maybe I played it a little too fast because I was a, a little nervous, but <laughs> sure, you know, I settled down after a few shows and I, I did a decent job for, it was a couple weeks notice, you know, they weren't sure if it was going to work out that way. So it was kind of like last minute, but it, it went well. That is so cool. Well, and it's one thing to do background vocals, to play rhythm, but when you're on the kit, you're steering the ship. So, you know, everyone's looking to you for tempos and things like that. So that I can imagine how nerve wracking that was. But then you also you filled in for Tom on bass for a while. So was that the second instrument that you that you filled in with with CT on? Yep. So I started in 2017 after that drumming a uh, couple of those gigs. I started playing uh, rhythm guitar in 2018 and vocals. And so we did that all the way through uh, 2020. Then we stopped because of the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, Tom had to have surgery. And so when we started doing gigs in 2021, he needed time to recuperate. So I, I just, instead of playing guitar, I just went over to 12-string bass and started started playing 12-string bass and singing along and did that for a few months. And I also filled in for Rick for about three or four months uh, last year. I read about that. recovering from surgery. And so right. 
Goodness. I filled in for everyone except for uh, my dad. Oh, what song was it that you that you did leave vocals on? Um, Down. Yes, that was so fun. Just as a dad, so when when that happened, your dad steps over to stage stage right, takes kind of your spot on the stage. I was wondering, as a dad, what must be going through his head seeing his son kind of take that lead vocal spot center stage. I, I thought that was that was pretty cool. And yeah, you did a you did a great job on down. I mean, you really really did. And it just must have been cool. I think the whole experience to be able to share a stage with your dad must be pretty special. For sure, I, he uh, you know he sings the whole night except for on that song and on. Uh, on Tom's song. So it's kind of nice for him to be able to step back and, and enjoy the show from, you know, my perspective where I usually am. That's so cool. Yeah. It was, that was a really special moment. And I think just being a dad, uh, you know, being able to pan out a little bit and watch that happen, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. So you have all this great experience with cheap trick. You've been writing songs. What was it that made you think, man, I've, I think I've got enough songs here to make an album, like kind of walk us through like how you got to that point. In 2015, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, from Florida, and um, started writing with a couple people. And we we had a side band there that we we did some demos and kind of shopped them around, but nothing really came from it. I kind of just worked there as a songwriter. I I just moved there to write songs and to uh, play as much music as possible. I moved back home right before the pandemic started, um, so um, that time frame was where I started pretty much the whole process of writing the songs for the record um, was about 2015. But, you know, there's even songs that are older than that that showed up on the record, like High and Low. That song has been around since 2013. In Front of Me, I wrote. Yeah, in Front of Me is an older one, too, 2014, 2015 time frame. So. The Distance really is. It's such a good album. I, I want to play a cut from it. Uh, this is the opening track, uh, What Am I to Do? Let's play it. And then we'll chat a little bit about the backstory behind that. So this is What Am I To Do from the album The Distance, the debut album by Robin Taylor Zander. Too much to put on my plate Feel a little fed up Take time to put on your face You don't need no makeup The game is over, girl So stop playing and put me in my place Try and fail, you're gonna win no matter what. Whoa, 
Can you tell us about the song? It's such a good one. It's incredibly catchy, great hook, and production-wise, it's not overbaked. I mean, it really is in the sweet spot. Love your vocal delivery, the harmonies. As I mentioned, there's some definitely some some Beatles influence in there. Maybe walk us through like what you wanted to say with with this song. Well, this is one that was written in Nashville. At the time, I was co-writing a lot of songs. The only co-written song on the record is "What Am I to Do." And we, we was just sitting around one late night trying to figure out um, this chord progression that we came up with, figure out a melody for it and some words. And they were just kind of born out of like a sleepless night, you know, to be honest. The bridge in that song I had for a while before I moved to Nashville. So I just had the bridge. And then me and uh, Johnny, who uh, co-wrote it, kind of did a verse and chorus idea thing. And then we put it all together. And that was how that song was born. But the production on it is very... Uh, Beatles, Bee Gees kind of sounding vocals. We had um, Reckless Eric. If you're familiar with Reckless Eric, he's from, um, he did a few uh, big hits in the 70s, and he's this uh, really great singer, you know, artist, and he lives up where I recorded the record up in upstate New York. And so he did some guest background vocals on this song. But yeah, everything you hear on the record on What Am I to Do is is um, very Beatles informed by the Beatles and mm-hmm. kind of like the Who and the Kinks early stuff. It it just sounds kind of like right off the gate. It sounds like 60s kind of British invasion to me anyways. It does. What I love about it is it, it definitely calls back to really one of the greatest eras of, of music ever. But without being stale, like there's there's the 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 vibrance, the freshness that you bring to it. That it's more than just a nostalgic callback. There's, I guess, I hear the modern element of it too, the sensibility in the songwriting and things like that. So it's a really it's a really good mix of of those two things. And so I think I don't know if that's intentional, but man, you you really found the sweet spot. I think a lot of that has to do with marrying the the songs that were brought to the table and having Jack Douglas and Jay Messina mix and master it. I think that, you know, marriage gives you the the feeling of um, a good nostalgia, not not like a overbaked like you said production, which a lot of music nowadays is kind of it's just sounds overproduced, you know. This is this record is like almost the complete opposite of being overproduced. Everything that's included is deemed essential to the recording, and then that's it. You know, we didn't throw the kitchen sink at a lot of the tracks, and we could have. You know, we could have done a lot more production on it. But um, everything on the record is me, except for if you hear a string part or a trumpet or the harp playing. That's all done by a couple um, really talented you know, musicians that decided to help me out you know 
and uh, Kenny Siegel, his friends kind of came by and, and did some overdubs on the record. Um, and that was really special because it really made the record what it, what it is. Right on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not one of those people like, oh, modern pop, you know, sucks and this and that. I, what I think in general, this not to oversimplify or overstate something, but a lot of modern pop music lacks a strong sense of melody. And your album is very, very melodic. You can tell that the, they're just well-crafted melodies. And I think that's the strength of the album because you can you can have a great voice like yours. You can have all the great instrumentation. But if you don't have a strong melodic background, like what's, what's the point? But you start there and then you build out from that. And I think that's really what makes this album so wonderful is you start with these great melodies. And what am I to do is... I think it's a prime example of that. You know what I mean? So talk to us about like where melodies come from, how you write, what's that process like for you? Well, it either starts on a guitar or piano and it kind of goes from there. Um, sometimes the words will be figured out before the song, but the melody is, yeah, is the most important. I usually do uh, a piano or guitar chord progression. After I get a progression that I like, I try to you know come up with a melody um, immediately after. That's how I usually start writing. And it works out pretty well. I usually uh, prefer to write on a piano than a guitar, but it depends, you know. I can't bring a piano with me everywhere I go, but I can bring a guitar. So um, I probably write more on guitar, but would prefer to write more on piano. Um, but this whole record was pretty much just sitting with an acoustic or sitting down at a keyboard and coming up with some chord progressions that I thought were cool and then matching a, a melody to it. It's really simple, like basic bare bones songwriting. It's not really complicated. Um, there's a few songs on there that are a little more complicated structure, right? Uh, structure wise, like a song like seize the day or all our trouble that those two are kind of, they have different kind of weird chord progressions and the melody was more tricky to kind of come up with, but I think it works out. The record is, you know, completely honest and straightforward kind of like singer songwriter pop rock you know that's how i hear it you know and it, it does definitely yeah definitely sounds to me like um you know it doesn't sound stale at all you know it sounds it like could have come from any time agreed good music is timeless you know I, I think that's true and what what i love robin is that what is very clear is that you've been doing this for a while. Like you've been writing and, and workshopping songs for a long time because nobody writes an album this good out of the shoot unless they've been writing and honing and working on their craft for years leading up to it. And that is really important. That's why I think you came out with such a strong album in your first effort. So well done, man. Very, very, very nice. You mentioned Seize the Day. That was actually my, my first favorite the first time I played it through. And I think what drew me to it, because uh, I love the Dead Poet Society, <laughs> so yeah. Carpe Diem Sees the Day kind of drew me yeah. to it. Is that where, I was curious, is that where you kind of got the idea for that song from that movie? Oh, I, I love, yeah, I love Dead Poet Society too. But I, yeah, I, I know what you, the reference there. But I, um, I don't know where it kind of came from. It could have subconsciously come from that. But that's one that really, the, the words came second. I had that piano part in my head and just kept repeating it. And then, um, you know, the words and everything, I had to sit down for a while and kind of piece it together. But um, yeah, I love that track. Yeah, it's a good one. So let's talk about what's coming up next for you. So you've got some downtime from Cheap Trick. We talked about how uh, there's going to be an Australian tour that you guys are going to be doing uh, with the band. But now you've got some time where you can focus on your own music a little bit. You've got 
Do you have any shows booked and where can people get those dates so they can go out and, and see you perform some of these songs live? Yeah, um, we're going to have a lot of dates announced coming up pretty soon and uh, especially for next spring. And if you want to check out, I'm doing some dates uh, in the fall as well. And if you want to go check those out, you go to robintaylorzander.com and all of the links to my link tree. So like all my music, merch, t-shirts, you can buy the record on my website. Everything's on robintaylorzander.com. Um, or if you go onto my Facebook, that's um, also under the same name or my Instagram. Yeah, all my stuff is up there and you can follow me in tour dates and all that all that good stuff. So cool. Then I will put your uh, your website URL, all your socials, your link tree, everything will be in the show description. So anyone listening to this, just scroll down, click on those. This is this is how we support indie artists. We we go see shows, we buy merch, we buy albums, we send them some encouragement. So I'm encouraging everybody listening to Journey to the Stage to to go and, and support Robin as he's as he's venturing out on his own, which is which is never ever easy for an artist. So definitely want to help to do that. So before we go, I want to do some rapid fire questions with you. So these are questions you can't can't overthink them. You have to uh, share the first thing that comes to mind. Here's the first one: If you could take the stage with any artist, dead or alive, who would it be? Lennon. I like that. So that actually almost answers the second question. <laughs> Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Okay. Mexican food or Italian food? Mexican. Good choice, my friend. Good, <laughs> good choice. All right. So this this one will this will tell us a lot about you. This one right, right. here. Dog or cat? Dog. Blonde or brunette? Oh, brunette. My girlfriend. She's sitting over here listening. So. And he means that sincerely. So That's I would right. go blonde. My wife's my wife is blonde. So hey, we happy wife, happy life, happy girlfriend. I don't know how that goes, but <laughs> okay. Thing. So your house is on fire. House is on fire. You can only grab one instrument. What are you grabbing? One instrument. Oh, one man. instrument. That's terrible. This is a terrible question. This one I wrote most of the record on my Regal, my trusty sidekick here. I'd bring this one. Okay. Can you imagine if we asked that question to Rick? <laughs> what instrument? Well, it'd probably be one of those 58 Les Pauls he's got sitting around. or something. He, so he was doing an interview with somebody, and he gave a tour of, of all of his guitars. I'm like, what in the world? It's He's got an insane collection. Yeah. At that point, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going down with the ship. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why not? I, I, don't, I can't pick one in that case. If I have 2,000 guitars, it's kind of hard to... Pick and choose, you know? Yeah. I'd grab a hose and hope for the best. Yeah, exactly. Well, Robin, man, it has been just great chatting with you. Great to hear the, the story behind this album. And uh, really, really enjoyed seeing you play with, with Cheap Trick uh, about 10, 10, 11 days ago. And thanks a lot for joining me on Journey to the Stage, man. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. Yeah. And everyone listening across the globe, I'm glad you tuned in. And all of you subscribing or following ratings and things like that are always encouraging. You can like us on Facebook, on Instagram, at Journey to the Stage Podcast. You can find us on YouTube as well. Links to all of those things are in the description below. So keep your bags packed and join us on our next Journey to the Stage. And that is a wrap. Success. <laughs>